having James here this morning. Um, that was a, a wonderful word from the Lord, wasn't it, from everybody? Excellent. Anybody, um, anybody affected by God this morning from that message at all? That was, that was wonderful. Well, uh, we are going through four psalms back to back. There is a progression, as you have seen. There's, there's been a progression from Psalm 16 to Psalm 17. They kind of build on each other. And so tonight, Psalm 18. Tomorrow morning, Aaron has kind of got the, the pièce de résistance. He's got, the, he's got chapter 19 to, to complete it with. But all of them have a similar theme, and that's for a reason. We need Jesus, and we want to draw near to him. And so we want to look through Psalms. What does it look like to draw near to God? And so there's different aspects of drawing near. It's not redundant, but, it, but God gives us this in his words that we get that we need to draw near, and then we want to have confidence in drawing near, and then how we draw near as well. So as we start, I want to ask you a question. Who here wants to be strong? Anyway, raise your hand. For, just raise your hand. Who wants to be strong? Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, put your hand up now. All right, okay, just a few of you, okay. Um, if you want to be strong, what makes a person strong? What makes a person strong? You can shout it out, go ahead. A little interaction, huh? Hmm? Lifting weights makes you strong, absolutely. What else makes you strong? Exercise makes you strong, yeah? Anything else? Patience makes you strong. Okay, what, what else? Mental strength fortitude god makes you strong very good that was the was that one of my kids given the given the right answer you should say jesus right <laughs> you know maybe if you're super spiritual you're thinking no it's it's the spiritual disciplines god's word and fasting and prayer and that's right but what what makes you strong personally what makes you strong you know if you think about it what makes me strong? You know, your own life, your day by day. When you feel weak, what makes you strong? What makes you strong? Or maybe I'll ask in a different way. Where do you look for strength? Where do you personally look for strength? All right, all right, there you go. There you go, that's real, I like it. So by all accounts, the guy who wrote this psalm, he was pretty strong. His name was David. David was, he was a manly man by this time. He was very capable, but you know how he learned things. He learned most things through trials. Think about how he started. He was the runt of the family. His brothers didn't think he was good enough to go into battle, so they relegated him to watching the sheep. He was so small that when he tried to put on Saul's armor, it just kind of, he couldn't fit. It didn't fit him at all. He was a runt, but he trusted in God. And then by the time we get to this psalm, he's become an able-bodied warrior. And if you read what David did, not only was slaying Goliath really impressive, and then you think, okay, not only he slay Goliath, that was cool. He went, he picked up this sword, he chops his head off. David was not shy. He, he, was, he was very bold, and yet all throughout the Old Testament, you learn of all of the battles and things that David encountered, and he became strong. I love one of the very first accounts when he goes up to Saul, and Saul is saying, you can't fight Goliath. And, and so in, in 1 Samuel 17, David gives an account of, of really why he's going up to fight Goliath. And he says, your servant, used to, I know this is not Psalms, by the way. We're going to get to Psalms in a second. This is 1 Samuel 17, the little background of who's writing this psalm. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. 
And when there came a lion, now think about that. He's talking about a literal lion. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by a beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David goes on to say that what made him strong was was not his talent in fighting, and he was really good at hand-to-hand combat with bears and lions. It was because God made him strong. You know, we all, we all know the story of David. He fought lots of battles. He fought hard. But, you know, it took him lots of years to get to the place where he was at this place of strength. He, he, was, he was crowned or anointed king by Samuel probably when he was a teenager. It wasn't until he was about 30 when he actually assumed the throne. And in that intervening time, God was making him strong through trials, through problems, through difficulties. And now he is even more strong. So we're going to be focusing on Psalm 18. We're going to read pieces at a time because it's 50 verses. We read pieces at a time as we go throughout this passage. So look in your Bibles to Psalm 18, 1 to 6. And I want you to look and see where David is looking for strength. Okay, so look for clues here. Where's David looking for strength? Where does this strong man get his strength? Okay, so let's read God's word together. He says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of the song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him, so he's already strong, from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. My fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Are you catching the language? Where's David looking for strength? I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. The cords of death, and what a vivid imagery. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. What are we seeing here in the psalm? What we're seeing here is a, a strong man who gets his strength, he seeks his strength from God. He's already physically a capable man. He's a, 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 the ultimate warrior in that day. But he sees that his strength, his rock, his shield, his protection, his place is solid. He, he uses so many different metaphors for this strength of God that he looks to and he cries out to God. And so the main idea that we're seeing the whole psalm, really, you know, the rest of these verses as well, is that a strong person seeks God as his strength. You're not truly strong unless you're seeking God as your strength and gives thanks for his strength. That's what David's doing. He's seeking, he's telling about, you know, I got victory, I got strength, but I got that from seeking God as my strength and I'm now giving thanks to God for my strength. 
may not feel very strong tonight. Anybody here felt weak this weekend? Anybody here at all felt weak at all? You may not be strong tonight. But what we see in David's psalm is how we can be strong in God. I believe God's going to give all of us fresh hope to say, you know, all of us can be made strong in God as we seek God. And a strong person is a person who calls out to God. That's what we see in the first six verses here. David is strong because he's calling out to God. How many, how many times does he reference it? Look, look down your Bibles in the first six verses. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength, the Lord, my rock. All these metaphors, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock. I take refuge, my shield, my horn, my stronghold. What's he trying to get across? I'm calling out to the Lord. That's where I look for strength. So many times in life, I'm not able to do life. You know, I can go to bed and feel like I can conquer the world. And then I can wake up in the morning and not want to get out of bed. You ever feel that way? In those times, where do we, where do we look for strength? Where will, what will we do? A strong person calls out to God. You know, it's, it's a seeming paradox that God's servants are most strong when they are weak. We heard that this morning, right? And when we cry out to him for strength. A few weeks ago, we were setting up our, our family living room. We moved furniture around to have a family movie night. And we, we had a screen up and we're watching a movie. And so we moved the furniture around. And we had this big, ugly white couch just a gift from God but it's ugly and it's heavy and it's lumpy and it weighs a lot and I was picking up getting ready to pick up with one of the kids and so Eva runs up and she's like I, dad I want to help with the couch I want to help with the couch I'm like okay sure she's like I go to do it no I want to do it so I'm like okay she's four the couch is like a hundred and some pounds I mean there's no way she's lifting it up and so she goes and lifts up and she's grunting and she's making noise and then but but she said three words that changed everything she says dad help me and so I go over and I, I pick up the couch with her and then we carry it over and she's like, I did it. And she did. And, and really that's, that's the picture of, of us and God. God delights. He delights to come to us in our weakness. He delights to be our strength. And that when we were moving the couch, I was Eva's strength. And first we can think we can do things on our own. We think we can do life on our own. But we realize that, no, this couch of life, it's too lumpy. It's too big. We need the Father. All we need to do is say, I need help. David knew he needed God. He looks to God for help. He knew God was strong enough. Now look in, in both verse 3. If you have a Bible with you, look in verse 3. It says, he calls out to the Lord. In verse 6, he says, he cries out to my God for help. All these different metaphors he uses, my rock, the solid ground, my firm foundation. He's my fortress, the one who protects and keeps us. And there's a really cool aspect to that word for fortress. You see, in those days, the Israelites, they had carved out places in the rocks. And, and there's, there's a, a fort that was probably there somewhere around the time of David. I don't know if we were we able to put it in the slides or not. The picture, was that up there? Okay, so there's a picture of, on the right-hand side here, you can't quite see it, that's Masada. And it's a fortress on top of a rock. It's, it's almost impossible to get to. And the only way to get to it is this little narrow path that you can hike up. But it's easy to offend that narrow path. And this fortress is impregnable, it's impenetrable. And then over here is another fortress they carved out of rock. It's now become St. George's Monastery. It's in the side of a rock face. They're secure. It's a place of safety. 
And so when David says, you are my fortress, my rock, my, my refuge, my shield, he's got this kind of vivid imagery. God is the place I run for safety. God is the place, my stronghold. He's the one who protects. But at the same time, God's not distant. He's not a rock in that sense. Because if you notice, I think it's nine times he says, my, my God. Do you know that he's your God personally? He's personal to you. He's not distant. David loves God. He calls out to him. He knows that he is his own God. And then he gives these graphic imagery. He says the cords of death. And you can almost imagine these tentacles kind of coming up from the ground, wrapping around David and sucking him down into the ground. I don't mean to give you a nightmare tonight, but... So these cords of death entangled him. These ropes of shield dragged him down, and yet he cries out. What he's talking about is he, he can't deliver himself from death. He can't deliver himself from the place of death, and yet he knows God can. And then he writes in verse 6, he says, In my distress I cry out to Yahweh, the Ancient of Days. And he calls out, he calls out in the midst of being enwrapped, wrapped around, surrounded in death, and he cries out, and God delivers him. At this point, God hears the cries of all who call out to him. And I love, I love that David, he's a forerunner to the Messiah, the ultimate David, King Jesus. And, and Jesus, he, he cries out, and he was delivered. And God did not let him see corruption. Ultimately, what I didn't talk about yesterday on purpose was that that psalm, was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And the, the disciples, they talked about Psalm 16 being fulfilled in Jesus, that, that God didn't let Jesus see corruption, didn't let him stay in the grave. The cords of Sheol could not hold him. And because of that, we can be confident that we've been raised with Christ and the cords of, of death will not hold us. But God's not ambivalent here. He's not slow to act. He's not detached. Sometimes we can think of God as far off. Or you know what? God cares about somebody else, but he doesn't care about me. You ever feel that way? You feel like God, God's detached? He doesn't really care about me. He cares about other people, but I'm not sure he cares about me. I love this vivid imagery that's used in verse 7 to 15. If you have a Bible, I want you to look there. If not, look on the screen and just kind of put yourself there. Imagine this in your mind's eye. This is better than any movie. I love the, the, the picture here. In verse 7 to 15, this is God responding when his servant calls. This is how God, now this David didn't actually see this, but this, he's showing the emotion of God, how God responds, how, how God takes this seriously, and that God is fully invested in responding. So David's speaking metaphorically here, and, it, and it's very vivid. He says, then the earth reeled. So he says, I cried out to God for help in my distress. What's the effect of that? It says the earth reeled and rocked. You ever been in an earthquake before? Anybody here been in an earthquake? It is disconcerting because those things that you, you assumed were solid are not. And it's weird when things move around. He says the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. You hear that? God's responding in anger on behalf of his children. That's righteous anger here. And then he gives this picture, smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down, thick 
darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and he flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. That's a mighty response, isn't it? He is not detached. He's fully invested. Then I love this imagery. He says, he kind of like puts a cloak. He says, he makes darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows, and he scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. The channels of the sea were seen. Foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. What are we seeing here? God saves mightily. That's the second thing we're seeing. God saves mightily. David's trying to communicate that God takes his children's cries seriously. And he's not ambivalent. He's not distant. He's engaged fully, emotionally. He is fully engaged in every way. God saves mightily. That's what we see in verse 7 to 19. Back in 1998, for anybody who was alive back then, there was this movie. There you go. Okay. 98. Was 98 a good year for people or something? Was that was a good year? Actually, that's when I met Aaron. I just realized that. I think it was 98, 98. yeah. 98, 99, we're in the pastor's college together. And, but there was also this movie called Deep Impact. Anybody see that movie? Now it's cheesy, but back then it was just really great. And uh, it's really cheesy now. But there's this comet that strikes the planet, and you're, you, you're hearing all these reports building up to it. Finally, it comes, and it's hurtling over the earth, and it hits in the middle of the ocean, and, and the, the ocean is laid bare, and it creates this giant wave. And I, all I could think about when I was reading this passage is, that's what he's talking about. God is coming down so thunderously that the ocean foundations are laid bare. The mountains, the foundations of the planet are laid bare. God saves mightily. He's angry when he sees the affliction of his servants. He's not okay with the affliction of his servants. Everybody knows when you see a grizzly bear, you don't approach its cubs, right? The mama bear instinct to protect is, is severe, and, and they take swift action. The bear responds angrily and charges. He tears into anybody who threatens him. And that's what we're seeing here is, is God even more so. He's responding. He cares. And he's actually God caring about his servant crying out and him responding with every part of himself you know those things that seem stable and secure that we rely on as immovable and they tremble and quake before god's power the whole earth is shaken this consuming fire is coming out of his mouth god's wrapping darkness like a cloak and a brightness is shining out remember the solar eclipse that happened last year when the when the when the moon the shadow of the moon came over the sun and then when that little sliver of sun came out from behind the moon it was like blinding and there's this blinding sight of god the holy god responding to the suffering of his children there's some emotion in that isn't there we need to know that god's not ambivalent 
Now, we don't understand. Now, we, we think, well, God, if, if God's not ambivalent, then why in the world doesn't he just change my situation? Right? But as we learn, sometimes it's actually the best thing for us to go through, and we can trust in God either way because we know God's character and his nature is he is fully invested. He's not ambivalent. He's not distant. He does care. Even if your situation doesn't change, you don't have to wonder, where is God? He's, he hears. He cares. The foundations of the world are revealed. Look on, on verse 16 to 19. It says, he sent from on high. What does he do? He's sent from on high. How, how does he respond? So we've seen his emotion. We've seen he's fully invested. Now in 16 and 19, we see God's response. He sent from on high. He took me, and I love this picture. He took me, and he drew me out of the deep waters. And David's got this picture of, of being in many waters, the bottom of the ocean, and God's reaching down. He says, he rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. David here, he's drowning in his enemies. He's drowning in his troubles from many waters. And they're too strong. The same is true for us. There are times when you feel like you're drowning. If you are a believer, there are times when you feel like you are drowning. And it's not because, it's not because you're out of God's will. David, the anointed one, the king, who before this had been prophesied, before he ever had any troubles, had been prophesied that he would be the, Messiah, the, the pre-runner of the Messiah, the, the anointed one. And yet, God let him go through these waters, and yet he didn't leave him there. He says, he brought me out of these waters. They are too much for me. And God reached down to the deepest waters, and he pulls up David and rescues him. I, I think that's a, that's a beautiful picture, really, of how God rescues us. Now, he, he doesn't always take us out of our circumstances, out of our situations, but he has reached down into deep waters. You, you know the picture in Romans, I, I love in Romans 6, when it talks about how when, when we were dead and buried, that's a picture of being baptized. And that the deep waters that were too much for us is we are dead in, in waters, we were dead and dead in the waters of death, and yet now we've been raised alive to new life. God has reached down. He's rescued us. He's brought us out of deep waters. No matter where you find yourself, the ultimate deep waters you've been brought out of, he has responded with force. He's brought you out. He's lifted you up. Your enemy was too strong. He has delivered you. Why? Because he mercifully rescues. And then I love that it doesn't end there. Look at the end of verse 19. Look at the end of verse 19. It says, why did he do that? Because he delighted in me you know that God delights in his children? He's not displeased with his children. I love Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Psalm 147.11 says, the Lord takes pleasure. He delights in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast want you to hear that tonight. God wants you to hear that tonight. You know, sometimes we can equate our understanding of our circumstances and we can think, okay, God must not really be loving because we're still in these circumstances that we do not understand. And yet he's rescued us from the deepest waters because he wants us to know he delights in us. He delights in you. He 
he likes in you personally. We're not going to understand him, but we can understand he delights. We can believe that. We can trust that. He delights in his children. But not only that, when we call out to God, he saves mightily. Look in verses 20 to 27. We're just going to read verse 20 to 22 first, and we're going to come back and read the other part in a second here. But in verse 20, it says, The Lord dealt with me. I get a little uncomfortable when I read this. You should too. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. What are we seeing here? Well, David's, he's touching on a truth here, that God saves the righteous. And that's good and bad news. He says, God saves the righteous. That's what he's saying. Righteous blamelessness is required. The Lord dealt with me according to righteousness, according to cleanness in my hands, rewarded me. I kept the ways of the Lord. I've been obedient. I haven't walked wickedly. All his rules before me, his statutes didn't put away. God's dealing with me. He's saving the righteous. And I first read those, I remember thinking, how in the world could David claim this? Right? How, how could David claim that? David, are you being arrogant here? Now, in a sense, the language he's using, it, it, it's not when we think righteousness, we automatically connect it to works. David is not thinking of it that way. You know, that day, that, that usage was more tr- connected with his integrity. He has integrity. He's, he's choosing to follow God. Therefore, he knows he's counted as righteous. But even then, you got to wonder, come on, David. Were you, were you really that righteous and clean? Aren't you being a little bit brash? Do you really keep all the ways of the Lord? I, I read about what you did, David. And what he's talking about is this hot heart posture to keep the Lord's ways. And it's likely he worked really hard to obey God. I, I bet he did. But, you know, you read it and you say, can you honestly say that you haven't departed? From God and all his rules before you didn't put his statutes away. And look at, he continues on, let's look in verse 23. He says, I was blameless before. I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. With the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Now, the first part, I kind of cringe when I read that. How about you? you? You read that and you say, wait a minute. According to my righteousness? That's not good. According to cleanness? Mercy? Blamelessness? Pure? Uh-oh. You know, Okay, God, maybe, maybe David wrote this. Okay, he wrote this right after he got delivered from Saul. So some of the later egregious sins that David committed had not yet taken place. But he claimed this now. But what did he say after Bathsheba? What did he say after killing Uriah? What did he say? Because he was a terrible dad, probably. That's what it looks like. And how he dealt with his kids. He's not sinless. He takes a census towards his own life, disobeys God. God sent an angel to wipe everybody out. What could David say then? You know, some people say, well, maybe that's just prophetic. 
a messianic claim, and it is, right? But these statements are absolutely true. He does show himself merciful to the merciful. He does show himself blameless to the blameless. He does show himself pure to the pure. Conversely, he does make himself seem torturous to the crooked. That's where I get a little uncomfortable because I was pretty crooked. I mean, I still am at times. I mean, I'm not, not totally redeemed, but boy, when I was younger, I was crooked. No, nobody knew that. I was deceitful, manipulative, but that's crooked. That's a little frightening if we're honest, right? After all, he was merciful all the time. He was blameless. He was righteous. He was pure. Now, we like that there is something good here. Now, David is actually saying, here's the reason why, because God saves a humble people, people who realize that they're not all these things, are the people who God saves who want to be those things. Now, there's a portion of that, but even then, you still have a problem with these, David, but how can it really be true? But when it says God saves a humble people, that's incentive. And you're like, well, I want to be humble. Anybody here want to be humble? Nope. I mean, come on. Everybody's got to raise their hands on that one. Don't you want to be humble? Because God saves a humble people, right? But deep down, we know we don't deserve to be saved based on our own righteousness. Who knows that? Anybody know that she, I'm not blameless. I'm not righteous. I'm not, I'm not all those things of my own. But, it, you know, it's incentive for us to want to be righteous. It's saying this is what God's standards are. This is how God works. So Christianity is, let me throw you for a second, it is a works-based righteousness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you the answer in a minute. I'm going to leave you hanging. We want that, though. We want God to be merciful. Anybody here want God to be merciful to you? Let's see, Look, let's read further in verses 28 to 45. He says, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. He's like the bionic man. No, 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 no. Sorry. Anybody get that from the 80s, whatever that was, the Bodic Man, he'd be running with, no, 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 Anyway, it's not my notes. Let's go back to the scripture. For by you I can run against a troop, and my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. Not just pretty good, but his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And by this time, we are meant to be thinking, oh, Lord, let me take refuge in you. For who is God but the Lord, in verse 31? And who is a rock except our God, the God who equips me with strength and made my way, oh, hang on, and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. You've given me a shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through. They were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. And those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he didn't answer them. 
I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire in the streets. You delivered me from strife for the people. You made me the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. What are we saying? I think the fourth thing we see here is that God strengthens his servants. His strength doesn't come from himself. His blamelessness doesn't come from himself. We're going to get to that in a minute. What we see is that God strengthens his servants. I love the imagery used as God lights his lamp. The, the Lord lights his darkness. God is David's light. He dispels the darkness. When I was single, I don't know if I remember, I think Julie, were you with me on this hiking trip when we got lost in the woods and it was dark? Yeah, it was pretty horrible. Um, we decided on a whim, on a last minute, I don't even know why, we decided, yes, let's go hiking. And we were out doing something already and we just kind of went hiking and um, we didn't have uh, uh, any lanterns, we didn't have a flashlight with us. And we stayed for a while up in the Appalachians, and then it got dark. And then we decided we'd come out of the woods. It's kind of hard to see in the woods when it's dark. And there are all kinds of roots and rocks and trees and everything else. And I was like, well, I'll lead the way because I've, I've been down this path before, like as if I memorized every part of the path or something. But, you know, so I, I remember going to the path, and I'm doing this. I can't see anything. It's in the woods. It's so dark. And I'm feeling the ground with my feet and looking at, feeling the air in front of me with my hands. And, and what I really would have loved was a flashlight and, and more common sense to bring one. But, you know, you know um, it was harrowing. We, we were, now we weren't in, in mortal danger, but we were in constant danger of tripping. And it was, it was steep when we were coming down. And so we were always in danger of falling and running and tripping like are you okay are you okay and everybody was kind of holding on to somebody held on to my back i think it was julie somebody held on to theirs we had like this little train happening and, and it was it was scary um now obviously we made it um but he gives this imagery of god is my lamp he lightens my darkness when life is dark God shows me, when, when I cannot see where to go, God lightens my path and he strengthens me so he makes me able to run. He sets me up secure on my heights. He trains my hands for war. He enables me to pull back a bow of bronze. Now, if you ever try to bend metal, it's not easy. He's saying God strengthens his servants. Then, I, I love, he, he talks about how God equips him. It's like he's in God's boot camp. He says, for you, I can run against a troop. You know, I can leap over a wall. I can do all of these things because God trains me. Now, how did God train him? Anybody? How did God train him? Through trials, through hardship. When we experience hardship and trials and difficulties, we need to see it for what it is. This is God's training ground. This is God's boot camp. Now, boot camp... Sometimes stinks, right? This is God's boot camp. He strengthens his servant and he trains us. He trains our hands for war. He makes our feet stable. He equips us. He, he, he makes us able to pull back strong bows. Why? Through a lot of practice. He's given us shields. He's supporting us. His gentleness made us great. He's doing all of that to make a wide place for our steps. God strengthens his servant. He equips us. God's trustworthy. He can be relied on. 
He saves. He makes his servant great. He's the great protector, strength giver. He's the ultimate salvation for those who trust him. Sometimes we don't like that. But most of us love that. Because God's training us. Because he's strengthening us. Not because he's distant. Remember, he's not distant. He cares. He's, he's invested. He's involved. He responds. He has mercy. He's already done the most difficult thing. Drawn us out or rescued us from deep waters. And now he strengthens his servant by equipping us, by training us. Verses 36 to 42 tell God how he makes his servant stable, enables him to stand secure and subdue his enemies. And then now let's look at verse 46 to 50. We'll see the final, final portion here in verses 46 to 50. Look how he ends. He says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. And I don't know that he's only talking about Saul here. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. What do we see in this final part, portion of the passage? What we're seeing is that God gives victory. God gives victory. David here, he has cried out to God. God's responding. God's saving mightily. He's strengthening his servant. And he also gives victory. And then he brings even those who don't know God to serve God's purposes through his servant. That was true in David, and it's true in Jesus as well. David, the forerunner of Christ. David, people, foreign people came to him and, and were submitting to him, and he subdues even foreigners. And with the picture of Christ, how he subdued all kingdoms, every tribe and people and kingdom is subdued under Christ. And he brings everyone in, and, and for all of God's great and mighty deliverance, David praises God. Now we have this, this contrast. Instead of crying out in distress like he did at the beginning, now... David's crying out, look in verse 50, great salvation he brings to the king. Imagine David shouting by this point in the message, he's, he's writing this down, he goes, great salvation he brings to his king, shows steadfast love to his anointed David and his offspring forever. But when we read that, when he says great salvation God brings to his king, that's good, right, for David? Does that apply to us? Right? When it says God shows steadfast love to his anointed, it's good news for David. Can we claim that? When David claims the steadfast love of God and the salvation of his offspring forever, that's good news for David. But does that really apply to us? Here's, here's the good news. In this passage, I don't think you could claim this passage unless Christ is the ultimate anointing. And he is. That's the good news. You know, we talk about preaching the gospel all the time. Why? Not because we want to talk about what does it mean to be saved. We make a confession, we're saved. And that, no, because that's our anchor. We rely on this in every claim that David makes, we can make because of Jesus. 
you've been united to Christ by faith, you've placed your faith not in your righteousness, not in your blamelessness, not in your cleanness. And if, in fact, you've done the reverse, right? When you became a Christian, you say, God, I renounce any trust in my own ability. I renounce trusting my righteousness. I renounce trusting my blamelessness. I renounce trusting in my abilities. And God, I instead, I know that I need you. And I trust in your righteousness, Jesus, your abilities, your sinlessness, your blamelessness, your purity. And then when we do that, God does something amazing. He gives us all of the righteousness that we wonder, could David even really claim to begin with? His son claimed because he earned it. He earned, I love that passage, he earned the right to be called the Son of God. He was already perfect when he came to this earth. He proved and he earned it as a human. He earned the right to be called the Son of God. But why did Jesus do that? Just to show off? No, he earned that right for you and me. That was, that was a right that Jesus earned that now when you read this psalm in Jesus, you can say, this belongs to me. scandalous the right to be called the son of god has now been given to me in christ we we die to trusting in ourselves and be able to figure it out on our own we trust that in him he's raised us to new life and so now i I love david realizes he made me blameless we can pray that and we can claim every claim every timeless promise in this passage that we are so uncomfortable with, it now can apply to you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and your life is hid with him on high. That should just blow your mind. You can read this passage and claim it in Jesus. That sounds like, whoa, that's a little too much, right? That's what it means about when, 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 when we hear about our inheritance in Christ about all the riches in Christ Jesus. This is the riches of Christ Jesus. This is why we can draw near to him. This is how we draw near to God, in Jesus, and ultimately his son. In Christ, he's our great salvation. We have a steadfast love of God forever. In Jesus, we've been adopted, made children, joint heirs. We can claim this whole psalm as uncomfortable as we know We can say, yes, in Jesus I'm righteous. I am not righteous on my own, but in Jesus I'm righteous. In Jesus I'm blameless. In Jesus my hands are clean. In Jesus I am pure in Christ. He gives me victory over all of our enemies. And we can claim that because it says that we, he already considers us as seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father with Jesus already ruling and reigning. That's pretty crazy. Now, it doesn't mean this life, you won't have difficulties, or that you, you know, you're going to have the greatest time here on this planet, and you're going to conquer everybody. That's not what it's saying. You can have the ultimate victory over all enemies. One day, he will subdue every enemy and put them not only under Christ's feet, but because you're in Christ, under your feet. That is shocking. If that doesn't give you confidence to approach God, then nothing really should. He's raised us to new life with him. He will mightily save us. 
rescue us and give us victory. And we know that because he's already drawn us out of deep waters. He's already rescued us from the man of violence, the ultimate man of violence, the devil. So let's draw near to God. And, and I love what David's response here is. Now, life is not perfect for David yet when he's writing this. But he's giving thanks to him for all that he's done. Let me ask you, is there anything good in your life at all? Is there any good gift in your life? It's a gift from God and called grace. Not means your life's like dandy, but is there anything, any cause for praise? What have you been delivered from? I, I, I want us to spend some time either tonight or tomorrow morning before the service, either tonight talking with people or in the morning. I want us to have some, some homework tonight. I, want, I don't want to just go from here hearing a message and not apply a passage like this to our lives. What have you been delivered from? I want you to tell somebody that, okay? I'm going to ask you tomorrow at lunch, could you tell somebody what's God delivered you from? What's God delivered you from? Give thanks to God for his deliverance. That's what David's doing here. What sins have you been forgiven of? What deep waters have you been drawn out of? What righteousness have you been given? Give thanks and praise to God. What have you been saved from? Give thanks to God for his salvation. When you do not understand your life right now, thank God of what he saved you from. What have you been rescued from? Has God rescued you from the evil one? Has he rescued you from the enemy of your soul? Give thanks to God and praise him. We're made strong by our strong God. How do we respond? There's, there's three ways to respond. I, I think we have those. Okay, okay, thank you, Dave. We have three ways to respond. Here's the first way to respond. Humble yourself. That requires a few things. It requires that we say, God, I don't get it. And God, I, I want to give up my demands of it, really. I'm humbling myself. And God, I'm going to cry out to you. I'm going to call out to God. Because God gives grace to the humble. So call out to God. Cry out to God. The second way we can respond is have faith in God. Not in your circumstances, not in changing your situation, but have faith in God who saves mightily and makes strong. In order to have faith, you're going to need to do some things. You know, faith is the constant, I think I have that, yeah, continually place your faith in God. We must continually place our faith in God. It's not a once and done. Every morning I hit God, I can't do this, this is not enough, God help me lift Continually place faith. Say no to the lies of the devil. Leave behind your own doubts. Read Psalms like this and see our awesome God who saves mightily and makes strong until you can say, God, I don't understand it, but God, I believe and help my unbelief. And Lord, I want to believe. Would you enable me to have faith that you save mightily and make strong? And then third, and this is something I want you to do as well, as God delivered you and that kind of goes along with number three, give thanks and praise. And this is not just, this is not anything false. David's praise to God kept him grounded in God. 
there's any success in the life of a believer, it comes from God himself. That's how actually we draw close to God through praise. That's why we have a portion of our service whenever we gather. It's worship. It's praise. We're drawing near to God in praise. That's what we see David doing, drawing near to God in praise. This whole psalm, he's drawing near to God in praise and thanksgiving for what God has done. We need to regularly do that when we don't feel it, acknowledging what's true and not what we feel. And his praise to God, you know what else it was? It was a guard against self-sufficiency. We need to regularly cultivate thanksgiving and praise as a guard against self-sufficiency. And you know, his, I think his praise to God, it kept his heart and mind from wandering from God when he had success. Sometimes success can take you from God as well. And let's say, wait a minute, no, my success is all attributed to God. It kept him aware of God, the source of help and hope cultivated a sense of awareness of God and a mindset that's, that's constantly looking for where's God at work. You know, instead of saying, God, where are you? Say, God, I see where you're at work. We can cultivate, be transformed as we renew our minds. Our minds need to be renewed, okay? How we renew our minds is actually by, by trans, being transformed, by renewing our minds with, God, you are at work. Help me see where you are at work. Because I'm so prone to seeing all the areas why, that are confusing. And then this kind of cultivating a lifestyle of thanksgiving and praise, drawing near to God, it's a precious remedy against Satan's devices. The devil seeks to twist and to warp our thinking daily. The enemy of our souls, the man of violence, he tries to get us to think that God has left us or abandoned us, that he's distant and doesn't care. This psalm tells us otherwise. God is not distant. He does care. tries to get us to see the world as if God isn't involved or present. God says, no, I am here. He tries to get us to see our, our circumstance and our lives as if God's not involved. And this psalm is a great encouragement. No, God, thank you. You are involved. You hear the cries of your servant. Do you want to be strong? A strong person sees God as his strength and then gives thanks to God for his strength. Let's pray.